0: So in Mark 10, uh, we, we get to a passage that, uh, the first part you've maybe heard before all throughout Mark's gospel. He's, he's helping us see, um, the ministry of Jesus as he is, uh, revealing who God is to, um, to God's people. He's announcing the, not only the presence of God, but the, the, like, new possibility of living in in his kingdom our community groups are, are talking about some of these ideas right now as well and i know our groups are in different different places but we're um we're kind of just revisiting this idea that jesus is showing us there's a, there's a new way to live that the way that you've been taught the way that you've been trained to live is in this broken system and through Christ, he's here to say, hey, how about, an, how about another way? How about you live the way you were always intended to live before your own self-reliance and self-obsession uh, led to this brokenness? How about I heal you? And how about I teach you right now how to live in heaven? And you don't have to wait till you die to go and to be in a place where what God wants done is done. That can be right now. Here for us, and that's a message that that when you first hear it, you're like, okay, I like that, but I don't know what it looks like. And so, all throughout the Gospel of Mark, and all throughout his whole ministry, Jesus is is teaching that, but he's also demonstrating it, and he's saying, you were you were never meant uh, to uh, to be like physically broken, and so he is healing people. He's showing this is. This is the way you're always meant to live. You're never meant to be oppressed by sin and by evil, and so I'm going to free you from those things because that's not—it's that's not what I have for you. I never had it for you, um, and but yet you were broken and you couldn't do anything about it. So I've come to make all that right. So he's—he's he's constantly setting things right side up over and over and over again, and so we get to uh, a passage that you may be familiar with in terms of being about the rich young ruler so we're going to look in starting in verse 17 as he was setting out on his journey man ran up and knelt before him and asked him good teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life jesus said to him why do you call me good no one is good except god alone you know the commandments Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me disheartened by the saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions okay so this what we have here is we have the uh, the exact opposite scenario from last sunday's sermon so if you if you were, if you remember that that's great but i uh, some of you were not here some of you can't remember yesterday um, and so i'm not going to assume anything so if you look at the previous text this is what it says in verse thirteen. Since they were they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to the disciples, "Let let the children come to me; do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them laying his hands on them, so you have a a, a cultural <clears throat> set of opposites right here. You have in the previous text, you have these children who at that time uh, they were it was not a child centered culture. it was like children were were considered on equal equal ground with Gentiles, slaves, and women. They were all considered uh, unimportant, completely powerless. Um, everyone was pushed to the side. All of those categories are pushed to the side. And so, uh, children are, are trying to get to Jesus. The disciples are shooing them away because like, let's shoo away the power, the powerless and unimportant people. We don't have time for that. Jesus doesn't have time for that, pushing them to the side. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not how this works. Don't you dare stand in their way. You, you bring them here because the kingdom of God is for them. The kingdom of God is for the powerless and the unimportant. Because they they have nothing to bring to the table. They're not they're, they, There's no way they can earn their way in, and they and they know it. And that's what the kingdom. That's who the kingdom is for. Then you jump to this story today. You have this very wealthy man who comes in, and he is the other extreme because he is a he is a male, he is Jewish. He has money and he keeps all the rules. So he checks every box that the, uh, that the children do not check. And culturally, that would be interpreted as, uh, well, he's like the prime candidate to be a part of this, this kingdom age that, that the Messiah is going to usher in when Israel returns to military and political like, prominence, becomes a global dominant force. Of course, it's going to be run by the, the wealthy Jewish rule-keeping men. And Jesus says, actually, the kingdom of God is not a military power, like political powerful force. It's actually going to be this really beautiful and subtle thing. And it's actually for the powerless and unimportant by your standard. By God's standard, it's for them. They they own it. It was meant for them because they can't earn their way in. All they can do is receive it. So you have one extreme trying to earn it and think that they have And Jesus is telling them, no, you have the other side completely empty handed saying, all I have is me. Is that enough? And he says, yes. So this, you have this man that comes up and Jesus tries to, he meets him, meets him right in his language, first of all, because the guy's a rule keeper. And so Jesus is like, yeah, let's keep all the rules. And he's like, I've been doing, I've been keeping all the rules. He's like, okay, well, but there's this one thing you need to do, and he, Jesus like surgically like cuts right to the heart of who he is and, and says, you need to get rid of all your stuff and then come follow me. And the man won't do it. He just won't let go. Jesus tries to target the obstacle that's keeping him from that childlike perspective of, uh, of need tries to cut it out of his life. He's trying to make him more like a child. And yet the man just won't do it. And he walks away sorrowful and because um, he had a lot of stuff. So that's sort of the the, the two extremes. So the disciples are seeing this. They've, they've seen the, the children extreme and they've seen the man extreme. They've seen the powerless the pow- versus the powerful, the unimportant versus the important culturally. And so the next part is when Jesus kind of uses this to dive into some pretty deep teaching. Look at verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. So, in this teachable moment, uh, they are completely astonished they have they have no idea what to do with what he's saying, even though they they saw the 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 kids and even though they saw the the rich young ruler and they' have witnessed all this Jesus is unpacking it for them and they're like they, they just really aren't getting it because in their minds this rich young ruler like he was the prime candidate for the kingdom of God and their understanding of, of all those things and the earning narrative within them runs so deep that they just they couldn't even comprehend that you would let children into the kingdom, but you would reject this man who is like keeping the rules and has all those things. And the bottom line is that, it really comes down to verse 27, with man it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. He's really saying uh, apart from God's help, you, there is no entering the kingdom of God. That's what the children understand. That's what slaves understand. That's what women understand. That's what uh, the Gentiles will come to understand is that they, they don't bring anything to the table culturally, they, they can't earn their way in. They are needy. They just need God to do something beautiful in their lives. It's impossible apart from that. In fact, universe twenty-four. He calls them children, perhaps to remind them uh, of their status. It's like you guys are the kids. You're the you're the ones you're the ones with nothing to offer. You're the ones that are that are a part of this kingdom where you can't earn it. You just receive it. I read this last week. It's Ephesians two eight and nine. Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Like, this is a gift to us. This is not because you kept the rules, or because you happen to have been born male, or because you are Jewish, or because you have stuff. So those things are completely irrelevant when it comes to how God is looking at like who the kingdom is for. And it's such a deep and important thing for us to keep being reminded of that, that on your, what you would consider to be your best day, like your like most obedient, I love the Lord, I'm walking close in close fellowship and connection with him. Like on that day and on your most rebellious, distant, defiant day, full of sin and full of whatever this is all still true on what you think is your greatest day. You're not earning love or affection or approval or anything like that. Um, just like on your work, what you would say your, is your worst day. You're not forfeiting it. You're not having to dig yourself out of a hole constantly with the Lord. He is completely consistent. And th- this is not to say that our, like our behaviors don't matter. And like, you know, like we can just do whatever we want. He's always going to be, it's, it's not to say that like, um, in a loving relationship, our desire is to be everything he wants us to be. It is to walk in obedience and to, to live the life that he wants us to live. It's not, we don't toss all that out because of this theological point, but he is making this point over and over and over again, is that you cannot be duped into thinking that your performance is connected to God's relationship with you. They need to help digging that out of them, and we do too and that's why i felt like even two weeks in a row just say the same thing same same thing twice it's fine can we ever hear that enough you know like it's so deep in us and so here he is once again helping this performance driven culture of theirs and ours see something beautiful about who god is and about how his kingdom works So I got to this point in studying and I was like, okay, so I'm basically just going to say the same thing two weeks in a row. I'm okay with that. But then there was something that was still eating at me a little bit. I was like, it can't, it can't just be that, you know. You can't just come in and say the same stuff again. Not because I'm worried about it, but that just didn't really settle right with me. And so I started to really think more. And, and then I got to where I was like, man, I, I don't really want to say all the other stuff that's going on, you know. I don't, I don't really want to like, I don't want to entertain some of this stuff because it gets so much harder, I think, for us. Um, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's what I'm supposed to do. But I'm just letting you know I've not really been looking forward to this. Uh, not that it's going to be bad. It's just it's hard for me because this is like getting into my own stuff and maybe your stuff too. But you ever you ever feel like uh, like here we are, we're... We're trying to um, to use some of the language from community group recently, or maybe your group will do, talk about this coming up here, to bring like my kingdom, my little kingdom, all the stuff that I can control. Um, I'm trying to bring my kingdom under the submission of God's kingdom. So when Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The practical application of that is uh, for, for me to like take all the different lanes of my life and to bring those into submission of his kingdom. So I say, um, in my thought life as it is in heaven, where, where what God, where God wants done is done. That's, I want it to be the same in my thought life as it is in heaven, Um, in my spending as it is in heaven, in my attitude as it is in heaven, Uh, in my love for enemies as it is in heaven, in my, how I use my downtime as it is in heaven. I mean, just all of that, bringing my little kingdom into his kingdom and saying, I'm not the king of this anymore. And sometimes like we're, I feel like that's like kind of what, isn't that what we're doing? That's kind of like a, a way of thinking about sanctification, about thinking about, um, walking with the Lord about like between now and whenever like Jesus returns that kind of thing that's it 's what we 're doing it 's what maturity looks like it 's what growth looks like it 's what all of those things look like and yet it 's so much harder than what I just explained to like to not only to do that to be, but to be consistent with that you know to like consistently enter the kingdom of God. To wake up every day, assuming that I have regained my own control of my own kingdom. And consciously, intentionally bring that into his kingdom, taking my name off of the like ruling and say, in my life as it is in heaven, in everything today. To do that over and over and over again is it's amazing, but it's so, it just seems like it's so hard. And I, and sometimes I can't figure out why, why is it so complicated? And a lot of times my, my mind goes to, well, it's, it's really, it's, it's, I'm self-driven in so many ways in my, in my mind. Like he's, he's saved me. He's given me a new, a new heart, a completely new identity, but, but I still think like that old, that old self. And so it's having to retrain my thinking and, sometimes i 'm like yeah it's just it's just going to take some time and it 's a slow like uh, metamorphosis and all those things, but then I started thinking about this this text a little bit and and I kind of began to approach it a little bit differently it's still it 's still about self, but I, he helped me put some terms to it for my own life that i hadn 't really done before and and I think it's I think it 's for us as well um, so let 's look again at what he says. Uh, in verse 23 and 24 and 25, and let's read it as, like, first world Americans. Um, So he says in verse 23, he looks at his disciples. He says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, at first, it sounds like he's like just beaten up on like the wealthy. And, um, you know, in a, in a global sense, we, just because we're Americans, like we are globally wealthy, well, we might think in terms of comparison to other Americans, you might not feel wealthy or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and really, I, th- I don't think that's a relevant point at all. Like, I don't think we just dismiss that, this because we don't make, like, nine-figure salaries, you know? Like, I don't think that's just for, like, those folks. Um, there's something here for us, and so please don't feel like this is irrelevant to you or feel like he is hammering on those with wealth uh, at this time. Um, this was before the cross and before the Holy Spirit came, and so that was the the generosity of God's people wasn't really like a thing that was cultivated yet. Uh, there are uh, plenty of people who make a lot of money, and they give a ton of it away. Like there's, I don't think it's about that today. If we were to drag this application into our world, I don't think that he's saying, uh, don't try to make a lot of money, and don't be, you know, Like all that kind of stuff. I think I think God would say make make the money that I have you making in the career that you're in and be crazy generous with it, no matter if it's a lot or a little. You know, I think that's where he's going with this. But what he's really saying is he's putting on our radar the fact that like in our broken world, having money creates a significant set of obstacles. It creates a significant set of obstacles that can keep us from kingdom living. It's not automatic, okay? It's not a given. But we as Americans, we as first world people, have to recognize that a part of what he's telling us is is like, don't, don't kid yourselves. Having stuff creates obstacles that can get in your way from living the life that you, re- that you want to live, from living that life that is submitted to his kingdom rule. Having stuff can keep you from bringing your kingdom into his kingdom. It's possible. It's not automatic. But I think he's helping us recognize something that maybe is, is there beneath the surface. So I started to think more about that because that's a, that's a hard like, th- hard thing to comprehend. That's a hard thing to bring to a sermon. So I started to pray and think like, so why why is wealth such an obstacle to that like childlike posture of heart and mind? You know, because he's just basically said you have to like the kingdom is for children who are powerless and unimportant, who ha- who have nothing to offer except themselves and their own like need for God's help. So I started to, th- to really think and just ask him for wisdom on uh, like, so what is it about money and possessions and all that stuff that makes that posture of heart so difficult? And my mind went to an earlier passage in Mark. In Mark uh, chapter 4, Jesus is, is in the parable of the sower. He's helping us understand. Uh, he's using this agricultural metaphor to explain a couple of things. And in verse 7, he's talking about this: the seed of the word of the kingdom going into someone's heart. And he's comparing it to a plant. And he says that uh, some of the seed fell among thorns, this is verse seven, and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And then in verse 19, he explains it. He says, I'm talking about those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. He's saying that, that here is the word of the kingdom that's planted in us and it's growing, but there's other stuff growing up with it. And the other stuff growing with it, up with it can be more aggressive and threaten it and can overtake it and choke it out and prove it to be unfruitful. And he uses a phrase in there that I think is very important. It's the deceitfulness of riches. He's saying that, that wealth deceives us money lies to you and me. It's one of those things that lies to us whether you have it or not. You know, if you don't have it, it's lying to you saying if you only had it, then all your dreams would come true. And if you have a little bit more of it, you're, you're thinking, well, I just actually want more of it and then more of it and more of it. Like, so it's constantly lying saying that you, no matter how much you have, you do not have enough. And that deceitfulness... It comes down to, I think, a point that is maybe worth writing down or thinking about. And not because I came up with it, but because the Lord like burned it into my study for a reason. Money makes us feel less needy because we can buy comfort. And comfortable people are slow to recognize their deep need for God. I'm going to say it again. Money makes us feel less needy. It's deceiving us into thinking that we aren't really needy because with money we can buy comfort and comfortable people are slow to recognize their deep need for God. If you, you want to know who's desperate for the Lord, go right now to um, go to the waiting room in, uh, at the ER and ask if anyone there uh, would like to be prayed for does anyone have a need that you would like us to pray for? And every hand will go up. Go into a rehab center of folks who are trying to come out of the cause of addiction and say, is anyone needy? Does anyone need God to help them? And every hand will go up. Go to a homeless mission and ask them, hey, we're taking prayer requests. Does anybody have anything that you want to ask God for? And they're Because when life is not going your way, And when you are struggling and when you are uncomfortable, you are very quick to recognize, I need God to help me. On the other end of the other side of the spectrum, I guess, when we are comfortable and things are going our way and we have all that we think we need, you know, in other words, when, when we have some money in our pocket, when we're able to have some spending, we're able to surround ourselves with things that are comfortable, it is easy, not automatic, okay, but it is easy to be deceived into thinking we don't really need the Lord very much. And it's easy to become content ruling our little kingdoms because it's all kind of going our way, we're kind of doing a good job of being kings. And instead of the little children coming to Jesus because they're they they need him and have nothing to offer we end up more like the rich young ruler walking away sorrowful and disheartened but we're but we're still walking away you know we're still walking back into our kingdoms and crawling up on that throne to rule over these things we can control and so i got to a point where i was just kind of stunned a little bit. And and I'm not trying to drag my own experience up here. I do think it is for us as well to at least consider. But could it be that comfort is the obstacle? You know, could it be that comfort is what is keeping me from living that consistent kingdom life? Is comfort what keeps me closed-handed instead of open-handed or keeps me from generosity with resources? Or what if comfort is really what characterizes my kingdom more than anything else? Even more than than saying self, what if it's just like, I just like being comfortable, which is a form of self, but it's very specific. What if I am completely deceived about my, my need for God my 100% of the time every single day great day terrible day my all the time need for the lord because sometimes i it's just life isn't it's not stressing me out it's going my way i'm i'm comfortable maybe that is the obstacle between where i am and me being in that on Earth as it is in Heaven, kind of reality. The good news is, with with man it's impossible; with God it's possible. And so, this is not an, an uh, this is not a situation that cannot be changed. But maybe it's worth thinking about through the lens of what He's saying. That you see this rich young young, young ruler, and we say, "Man, that dude just wouldn't let go of his money." Maybe we are. The same way but maybe we have been deceived into realizing how similar we are and if we are trying to go from one one end of the spectrum to the other to go from uh, a lot to a little maybe that's the obstacle that's there so look at verse 28 peter began uh, to say to him see we have left everything and followed you So what Peter is doing here is Peter is doing exactly what we need to do with this. He's doing some self-assessment. Now, Peter and a lot of these guys, they walked away from very stable lives. They walked away from the family business. They walked away from, uh, you know, several of them were fishermen, Matthew, tax collector. You know, like these guys were... um, they were headed down the rich young ruler path and they walked away from that. Jesus says, come away from that and follow me. Leave that kingdom, come follow into my kingdom. And they said, yes. And so Peter, his wheels are spinning. It's almost like you can see the dots connecting. He says, we have left everything and followed you. We, we have done what the rich young ruler would not do. But he's almost like saying it as like, uh, like, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a little bit of like uncertainty there. And Jesus affirms that. Like verse 29. Jesus says, truly I, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus is saying to them. And I I think also to us, anything that you have walked away from, that will not be done in vain. He's saying, yeah, you guys left a lot. You're, you're not going to lack a single good thing, though. You will find that you have a lot of siblings and a lot of parents and a lot of places to stay. You'll, the kingdom of God is full of generosity. You, you have left a broken kingdom to f- come into a one that is whole and complete, not only in this life, but also in the one to come. And even though there are persecutions that will find its way in there, it is completely worth it. He's just telling them again what he said earlier in chapter 9. If something is causing you to sin, cut it out of your life. It is absolutely worth it. All of chapter 9 all of chapter 10 are like finding their way into this one place. And I think what we need to do as good stewards of a study of Mark is... To also do what Peter is doing, to look at our lives and and really ask a good question. In in Matthew 19, this same rich young ruler story is told in Matthew's version. There's one little part that's different. Verse 20, after Jesus, you know, the man's like, "What do I need to do?" And he says all the commandments. And his response, he says, "All these I have kept. What do I still lack?" It's like he he knew, like, okay, keeping the rules, I, that's fine, but there's still something missing. What is it? I, I think that's a worthwhile question for us to write down, to make note of and to revisit, is what, what do I still lack? Especially if you feel like there's an obstacle um, getting in your way that may be somehow tied to money or possessions or comfort or whatever that may, whatever the thorns are that are growing up alongside the kingdom plant. So what do, what do I still lack? And then in back in Mark 10 in verse 21, don't, lose, don't miss the fact that in verse 21 it says, Jesus looking at him, he loved him. That Jesus loved him enough to point this out. He loved them enough to say this is the thing that's like choking out kingdom growth for you. This is what it is. He he says you lack one thing, go sell our stuff. Jesus loves us and we'll do the same. Like if we come to him and say what what do I like? He'll show you. And what gets weird is when he does, then you're like, man, well, I have the courage to act on it. And isn't that what's always preached? to be the rich young ruler to say, what do I still lack? And Jesus loves you and tells you what it is. And are you going to walk away sorrowful? Or are you going to like go and cut that out of your life and do what he says? And I think that's a pretty good application for this story. Like it makes perfect sense to me. And here are these disciples who have walked away from so much. And when you look at the rest of the course of their lives, there's no way they regretted it. Jesus says, I'm going to take care of you. You can live without those things. And so I don't, I don't know if if comfort is a thing for you. I, I don't know if that is universal or not. But as people who live in a very affluent part of the world, in a very affluent culture, we have to be aware that money, possessions, status, like all those things that are all connected to it, they can get in the way. I'm so thankful that I, I know, I mean, I've met so many people over the years who are proof that with God, this is possible to overcome people that have a great perspective on money and stuff and all that. It's possible. It happens all the time. It's not automatic, but those obstacles are there with his help. We can get through it. But if we're trying to muscle through it on our own, maybe he's just being kind and showing us, Hey, this, this is what's in the way. Now, one of the, one of the things I love about like teaching and preaching is that, um, once I get past my obedience, then it just becomes yours. You know, like, I mean, I have to steward this as well, but I don't, I don't have to give like examples to every single person and like convince you to do something and like coax you through it and all that. Like it's, it is now a stewardship thing for you and for me as individuals. Um, and that's in part why we do a response time that has a couple of different options to it because everybody's different. And so you may want, you may need to just pray before we dismiss. Because, you know, once we dismiss, everything everything goes crazy, right? So you may just need to spend some time praying or you may need to spend some time singing. We have two communion lines where you'll take the bread and you'll dip it in the juice and you'll take that. It it could be that taking communion in is a tangible step that you need to be reminded of what is important. Um, We'll have some ministers on the front row that would love to pray with you uh, all these things will be happening, but the, the, the point is, um, in our own efforts, we can't overcome this. He says with man, it is absolutely impossible, rich or poor, absolutely impossible with God. It is, it is possible though. So children, they recognize that they're needy. The wealthy have a little bit harder time seeing it. Um, may God just bring us all to that other end of the spectrum where we realize no matter what we have or don't have, uh, we're all completely in need all the time. And he's there to meet the need. They both fit together. So let's, let's stand. I'm going to pray for us as we kind of position ourselves for the response time. Whatever you need to do, whether it's sing or pray or receive communion or whatever, a combination, I encourage you to do that in our closing time. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I'm, I'm so thankful that you uh, loved this young man enough to tell him, And I hate that he was saddened by that and walked away dismayed. I hate that for him, and I hate that, uh, I hate even more that I I understand exactly what was going on with him because I've done it so many times. And so I need your help to not repeat that. We all need your help to not get caught in that trap. And so whatever you're stirring in our hearts and minds this morning, I pray that as we sing and pray and receive communion, and just that we're just together in it, that you would uh, help us to respond in a way that may put some legs to what you're stirring within us. You put some obedient steps out there that you remind us to ask, what do I lack? and that you give us the courage to, uh, to put that into action when you when you show us. I'm so thankful that the impossible is possible. Um, help us to realize our neediness, but also your provision at the same time. Uh, we, we love you deeply. God, we are grateful. And I pray all these things in your good name. Amen. So our uh, communion stations are, uh, are open. You can come, you can pray Uh, as we just spend some time with the Lord and with each other uh, in the next few minutes.